We're learning new words here. We have an artist in the house. And a special treat for me because this is what the podcast is all about, actually. Um, we met over a month ago, and it was at the Old Town Art Fair. And, you know, every time I go to these events, I, I like to think I have a good eye for beauty, right? And I definitely put myself in enough places um, to test the waters. And such that your stand at this art fair was the most impressive thing that I'd saw, I, I saw that day. Mainly because of my love for South America, Latin America, and you had some paintings from Cartagena and some of your travels in South America, which drew my eye. But not only that, you had a certain swagger <laughs> and <laughs> your, uh, your stand was right on the corner of the two crossroads which you uh, were very happy to tell me was very much something you fought pretty hard for. You were kind of quite aware. Quite aware. It was earned. It was earned. You were quite aware that yeah. you were in the right spot mm-hmm. at this art fair to sell. And, and I'm not going to lie, you made some bank over there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what was amazing was that show happened to be the first event in Chicago that was opened up to the city after COVID. So that's a game changer. People have been repressed for so long. And a day before the show, we, it was all going to be pre-signing, two people in a booth at a time. You had to pre-register. And the mayor said, they before, you know what? It's open season. So you had this energy that I've just never felt before. You had all these people who've been st- stuck in their yeah. apartments, not allowed to be in crowded spaces. And basically the, the starting gate went up and they could do whatever they wanted. So it felt like the old days and people were digging deep into their pockets and just comfortable to, to buy stuff <laughs> that maybe they would have hesitated before on. They were just saying yes. Sharing that stimulus money. Yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah, right. Finally. Right. Um, right. So anyway, I'm so happy because... I got the picture and a video of you and every all the all the material that I, you know, that I love to capture when I meet someone the first time. That's amazing, and um, you know, it, it kind of paved the way for us to have this podcast. And you know, patience is uh, basically one of the greatest, uh, basically, challenges in life is to learn to be patient for things, uh, to enjoy the process, right? To enjoy Absolutely. every day a yeah. chance to. Work on yourself, on your, um, on your habits, especially. So, anyhow, uh, I did some research on you, which I always do. And uh, so, your painter, um, been based in you know Chicago area twenty years. Um, you are from a very artistic family, successfully artistic, might I might <laughs> add, in that you might have some secrets to share for artists out there, or lessons, and uh, that we can all learn from. And so, David, I love to kind of simplify things. As you know, there's a structure here. Um, So where were you actually born, though? In Chicago, or where were you born? No, I was born in Long Island. Oh, yeah? New York. And how long did you stay over there? Stayed there until I was 11 years old. Okay. And then uh, Chicago after that? No. No? No. You're trying to figure out where Chicago fits into this, right? It's further down the line. Well, no, no, no. I mean, yeah. So I'll, I'll... can I go further back? Sure. Okay. So my father is a working class British kid okay. who happens to be very talented just organically. He didn't got, not come from an artistic family. Uh, there's no you know, a great uncle or great aunt or fifth generation so-and-so that was a Van Gogh. 
and um, and this is 1930. He was born in 32, and this is you know, pre-post-war period and getting out of working class England is going to be almost impossible. And he and my mother fell in love and he was an aspiring artist and got a few breaks just because he was super talented and moved to New York to just try to make it. So here I'm just a kid that's born into Long Island, raised by British parents. Um, and I got a dad who's trying to make it in the New York scene. And that's kind of like my starting ground for being an artist, really. It's fertile territory. Mm. yeah and so, so that was 11 years and then we bought this farm in canada my oh. sister's relatives i sorry my mother's relatives had immigrated to canada not to america and she was very close to them so we'd always go visit them in canada christmas easter that kind of thing and then uh my dad's like he always i mean i can go on and on i don't know do we have five hours no, but, there's no Joe Rogan. I mean, there's no ads. We got more. I mean, there's no waste of time. But uh... so I'll, I'll I'll try to keep it simple though. So he had been evacuated during the war, and he'd been raised in London and was sent to the country. And his experience was that a lot of kids raised in cities are and are they kind of soft in some ways. They haven't had to haul rocks. They haven't had to. I mean, mowing lawns is about as tough as it gets, right? right? So he was now thrown into this country life because of the evacuation evacuation of the attack on London. And he knew that when he had kids, he wanted to make sure those kids knew what it was like to have a sort of a, a rugged sensibility, to know what it's mm. like to, you know, have to go out and sweat your ass off, throwing hay bales in the mouth for eight hours, whatever. So he bought this farm with really the, the intention of us going up there in the summers and getting some of that stuff. We all loved it so much that in the end we said, you know, what, let's just leave New York and move to Canada. The whole family. Okay. Whole family. And he at this point was a famous hugely successful illustrator in New York and he said you know what there's a greater good here so his career took a hit it, he still maintained a, what was a great the greater status. good is teaching you guys how to it was having his family intact and being able to raise them the way he wanted them to be raised mm. yeah wow. so he yeah. sacrificed his career he sacrificed to, to raise you it. guys a little bit the exactly. way he wanted to do it so exactly he basically uh he's he's betting all the cards on on you guys like in terms of like making sure that you guys um learned you know virtue or, or, or proper right lessons that's stuff. what really mattered to him yeah. was making sure that we had those qualities within us our characters being built certain ways and that was worth more than let's say another gold medal at society society of illustrators right because right? it's like if you're an actor they say you got to be in la or if you're a musician you got to be in nashville whatever uh some actors have said you know what i'm just gonna live in winnipeg and i'll just sort of make the best of it that i can it might mean i miss some roles but i get to have this other thing Right? right, Joni Mitchell lives out in the Midwest of Canada, you know, and she probably could get some more hits and things if she stayed right in the center of uh, L.A. But maybe there's a price for that. Right. Okay. So then uh, you actually got your degree, right, in in art somehow from 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 Canada. So I I got a soccer scholarship to come down to Illinois State University. You were a good soccer player. Good soccer player. Okay. Yep. Came down, spent two years there, but I realized, you know, I wasn't going pro, not that I ever really thought I would be, but, and <clears throat> I was doing all these university studies classes, etc., and I wasn't really painting much. And I was going to have to dedicate so much time to doing all this stuff that really I felt had no relationship to my pursuit as a fine artist. So I, after two years, I said, you know what, I need to be in a place where I'm just painting and drawing all the time. Mm -hmm. So I transferred back to Toronto, to the Ontario College of Art, which is a great school in Canada, 
and I studied there. Uh, I got one year advanced placement, and I studied three more years there and got my degree there. Okay. And then came back to Chicago for love uh, and studied under Dan Gustin at the Art Institute. And um, so that was pretty much the end of my formal training. Okay. Besides the fact that I had a father who was an artist, and I was just surrounded by it all the time. So and pretty, so pretty stimulated environment. Did you have a passion for art uh, that was in in you or did you feel like a lot of it was encouraged by your family you know it's the sixty four thousand dollar question i'll never know that i almost wish i could have a blank slate and have a way of seeing just what i would have been without that influence right. it's impossible for me to know so I, I i i i think because i'm pretty successful at what i do there must be some innate ability there but i sat on my dad's lap he'd like he'd be doing some cover for Newsweek, let's say, and there's this sky is coming in, and I've just come home from like grade six, and I'm sitting on his lap. He said, David, do you want to color in the sky with me? I'm like, color in the sky? Yeah. So we dip, we hold the brush together, and we dip it in the watercolor, and we throw it over the sky. And so my hands on art at that age yeah. where it couldn't have been that way any other way, right? So, you know, what is that? I don't know. I don't well, know where that comes from, just, but I know I certainly feel at one with what I do. Right. Well, it's destiny. I mean, uh, same time, like you can't help but love what you're good at, right? I mean, you're good it at... Sure it sure helps. That's sure right. Helps. You could well, love it, love it, love it, and maybe not really have the chops for it. And you see that with... There'll be famous musicians and their kids are in the business, but they don't ever reach quite the high that their dad did. And, you know, maybe that's me as, as well. I don't know where this whole career of mine goes, but uh, they give it their best. And, you know, where's it go from there? Or right. even, even a brother or sister, like James Taylor's got a brother who's a, a musician, but you don't hear songs on the radio very often. No, I mean, uh, and what's the difference? Like, is it a little fragment of difference? Is it you little know, LeBron James? Didn't, I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's it's tough to uh, completely replicate greatness, right? Um, from generation to generation. Exactly. Where does it come from? And yeah, no. But uh, I guess the bushes are interesting, right? They had a Papa Bush and a, and a baby Bush. <laughs> the, the yeah, and then that, I, I don't want to go into politics. Yeah, right. that's, that's right. Let's we'll, steer we'll right off of that. that. That's but dangerous. Yeah, there's no, there's like one topic we don't really cover. It's kind of like yeah, it's kind of like Thanksgiving every time. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> <laughs> you, you and I are going to end up in fisticuffs <laughs> in about twenty minutes. You I know, can feel the it. podcast is about enjoying uh, learning from each other and accepting each other, but also uh, it's not. It's a it's a whole world of uh, positivity as well. So. Um, there's certain topics love we that. do focus on. I love that. And one is appreciating the passion and, and history and lessons from people and just listening to the passion that people have. Because um, I tend to, that's my job, is to find passionate people and, you know, get them to spend time with me, which is very hard sometimes, you know. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's the greatest, this is, the favorite, this is my favorite moment in the week when I get to sit down with someone like you, David. Um, and Scar has vacated Pride Rock here, given us some space to record in, in this <laughs> blessed abode. Your viewers know who Scar is. Well, someday... <laughs> we'll let that be. <laughs> I mean, basically, I don't want to say it, but... Uh, yeah, I have a roommate here right now, and, and he, you know, we have an unspoken agreement that you know, podcast is what's important to me, and I can have the couch. So here we are, and it's special time. Yes. And I want to get further into you as an artist, as a traveler, because I read, I love that uh, when I read in your bio on your website, it's pretty good, and um, I see a lot of myself in you, actually, in terms of how much I love to travel light with a backpack, and like, 
really yeah. discover and, and find wonder in right. different cities. And I, right. I think you are one of the more traveled people on this earth uh, from all places you've been. Um, what's one of your, what's like the most thrilling place you ever traveled to? Oh man, there's so many, but you know, a few years ago I went to Burma and that's before all, that was Unsung Suchi was at a glowing point at that point. And so the Rohingya hadn't had all that stuff going on. They'd just come out of this military dictatorship. She seemed like she was going to become the new premier of the country. And it just felt like this epic change in, in the country. And there's all this energy there and all this people who have a true hero to believe in. And combined with the fact that it's, you know, the most intact Buddhist culture at this point in history, uh, that's pretty exotic combination of things the buddhism and, the buddhism got to you yeah just to feel the devotion you know sometimes i'm envious of people who have absolute belief in something i'm not one of those my you know i've seen just for me i've seen too much and i've seen so many different ways of believing that it's hard for me to take any one journey but there i found all these people who are absolutely devout in their beliefs just like in india you'll see hindus are just there's just they don't even question it like we might have done 150 years ago with you know our christian faith in let's say europe or in america and you know you're a protestant you're a protestant your parents don't even allow you the option to think about questioning that it just wasn't thought about mm. um uh there's something i envy about that but i guess if i really envied it that much i'd be that mm. but i i you know it's just to be around that it's kind of a drug for me to see people believing in something and just just to like feed off of that energy. Mm. It's beautiful. Wait, the, it's, you're telling the Buddhists were passionate? Very passionate. I, 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 very I would passionate. say Buddhism is one of the things that I've most felt close to in terms of how much it's like more guidelines versus like anxiety and oh, like, you know, here's these rules and you're going to hell. Yes. I mean, it's just like it's more guidelines for living a good, healthy life and, That's and right. happy life. That's right. So I'd say... I am like very close to that. And it's I, very easy to be amongst, right? I don't feel judged. I feel like I'm just like, uh, a lot of times I'm painting in temples, right? So right. I, let's say I was in Chiang Mai, Thailand, perhaps, or Burma. And I, because of the, the nature of how I work, I'm in a place way longer than you might be. You might walk through the temple, maybe spend three or four hours there hanging out. Mm -hmm. I'll be in one spot in that temple for three weeks, maybe five hours a day right working on some really big paintings so the, the other great thing about a lot of the buddhist monks is that they're taught english so i have a way to really communicate with them on a fluent level so those guys will end up hanging out with me because you know sometimes their days aren't that busy and they'll sit next to me and say do you mind if i sit here i'm like of course <laughs> we'll, every day we'll we'll talk for hours and hours about their life my life introspection yeah. all of this so i get i have a i have an entree point it's very unthreatening, right? I call my easel, it's like a, it's like a traveling peace sign. Because mm -hmm. with a camera, you stick it up in the air, you look at somebody, you hit a button, and you might have all the best intentions. You have, there's, you have no nefarious designs. You're just taking something away that they never see, and you might do great things with it. But they have no idea what just happened, right? When I'm sitting there painting, they can see it's, it's so obvious there it is like i do my whole painting right there so it allows them to have their guard down and to actually notice that i'm celebrating who they are and what they are so it's it's a great medium for all this other stuff which is icing on the cake for me which is communication 
So I get, I get access to worlds that would be very hard pressed to have access to if you didn't have like months and months of time. I get right. there in short order because they see what I'm up to. They don't feel threatened by me and say, hey, why don't you come back for dinner? Oh, you two guys. Let's hang out. Let's, let's, you know, their guard is way down. And the, yeah, and the way, I, of course, I communicate to them, they understand that I'm there to celebrate them as well. So it's, it, you know, if you ever want easy access, bring an easel with you and fake like you're a painter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can't fake uh, appreciation uh, to that level of sitting there and watching the same image for that long, right? I mean, like, you have to. Well, first of all, you're usually in action, right? I mean, your hands... Yeah, they're seeing a process. Sorry? Yeah, they're seeing a process. They're, they're seeing, seeing the, an seeing evolution. Right. They saw it today, they see it tomorrow. Actually, after about three days, they're so bored with me. They just go on with their lives. And that's actually, in some ways, the best thing for me. Because they're, they don't have their guard up at all. Right. Yeah. So, you, I, I read on your site that you talked about <clears throat> um, capturing the imagination. And this is one thing I wanted to cover is... I'm actually very adamant that uh, a life best lived is uh, actually using one's imagination very little, only in certain important spaces, because projecting can sometimes drain a lot of energy from you. Energy is vibration and energy is power sometimes. And the best thing you can do is set up structure and opportunities for you to express yourself and be creative. So have your, like when an, art, when an artist sees a beautiful image and puts pen to paper, you know, watercolor to the easel, you know, are they really using their imagination or are they, you know, harnessing the forces of the universe and, and, and basically becoming an instrument, right? And so, yeah, that's I like that. I, that's really well put. That's how often how I think of myself. As an instrument. Yeah, because the painting, you know, I'll have an idea for a painting, right? I'll see a view and I'm really picky. I'll walk for hours and hours and hours. So I find something that has to strike me in certain ways. But even then, now I have an idea for what I want the painting to be. In the middle of the painting, something changes. Like there's a tree that looked great at 10 in the morning and doesn't look good now or vice versa. I hadn't realized that if the light hit that wall, it's going to be amazing. So what I thought my original intention was evolves and I leave room for that. So for me, I think of my paintings like movies. There's no moment ever looked like what my painting becomes because I'm sitting there celebrating this thing that I was inspired by, but I leave room for it to change or a character comes walking through who I never expected to walk through. Right. And you sit there for half an hour and I, I throw him on my painting. I couldn't have known that in advance. And then I don't block him out because I said, wait a sec, and my original painting was this. Now, of course, you have, to, you have to also know what's going to make for a good painting. There's some things you have to block out. You can't mm. put everything in your painting because that can actually become uninteresting. But still, I, I really try to like just let my starting point be the nucleus for the joy and the celebration and the creativity, I guess. Uh, but I just let it kind of like offer itself to me and let, you know, sometimes the sky will change entirely from what I mm -hmm. thought it was going to be. And I have to make a judgment whether I think this new sky is better or worse, right? Because it's changing all day long. But I try to leave myself open to that and say, okay, you know what? This just needs that thing and let it, and let it flow. So what do you do when, uh, well, there's something amazing happening in front of you, but it's, it's so fleeting that yeah. that's when you need the imagination to keep bring it back to you? or, or Well, often when I sense that something's fleeting, I'll work really small so I can state it 
in a short amount of time, mm. right? I might do a five by seven or a six by oh, nine. Yeah, yeah. And I, I won't try to do a 22 by 30 inch painting because there's just no way I'm gonna catch that moment. So the classic thing is like end or beginning of the day, right? You have your golden light in the end of the day and it might be 45 minutes. And you know in advance, I've looked at enough skies to know that things are gonna change rapidly. So I set up what I think I can paint in that amount of time and just just let it fly. Mm. It's fast painting yeah. and I don't know exactly what's gonna happen. Uh, but I just say, you know what, I think I can probably grab what happens in that amount of time. And there's no guarantees, but it's it's fun. I lived in China for a couple of years and I, I observed a lot of Chinese painting in the museums there, etc. And there's sort of this zen of painting, right? Which just is these, these great movements and there's looseness and there's a lot that's said with very little. And when I'm painting those, especially end and beginning of day scenes, I'm kind of aspiring to that. It's like, okay, I can't put the dog in with all the color and all his toes and those things. It's not about that. It's just like trying to find a way to as simply as possible say this moment in front of me and nature's forcing my hand, mm. right? It's basically saying, hey dude, you got 30 minutes. Right. Hit it. Dude. It's all or nothing. I don't ever try to take that scene and photograph it and take it back to my studio and recreate it kind of like you. that's where your questions start off with is I have to then use my imagination. I just, I like to be in the moment, stream of conscience, and I just go, this is what it is, bam. Doesn't mean I wouldn't do some little things at home, but I just find when I do that, it's hard to replicate what's happening there. Like I said to you earlier, I'm also a musician, and you know, you can be in a recording studio with guys, and you can do it 50 times over. When you're playing live in a bar, or playing live for an audience, things happen, you just have to leave yourself open for that, and there's spontaneity that happens, and it's like, it's just there's an energy there that you just like ride with. And maybe put somebody plays a wrong chord or they go to the verse instead of the chorus and the whole band just says, Oh fuck, I guess that's where sorry, I guess that's where we're going. And you just run with it, right? Yeah. Or you feed off the energy of the audience. You're like, you know what, the song's over, but this needs to go round again. Right. Let's just see if we can escalate it up again, you know, let's take it up to another another place. So a lot of parallels between music and, and art yeah. for me. Yeah, you're talking about uh, thoughtlessness at its finest, <laughs> which is <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, right. It's, it's, it's the it's, moment it's, is so good. Why would you have a thought? Because you're you're feeling right. and you're listening. That's right. And when you're truly that's listening, right. you're not thinking. That's right. And so that's actually what you know. I've I I I I, I don't want to say strived. I've just become someone who's kind of thoughtless in like a a way that I appreciate. Um, meaning, but you still had to set up a structure, structure for the thoughtlessness to exist in. Yes, you need right? the, the structure. So it's contrived thoughtlessness. It's uh, very deep and pur <laughs> purposeful thought. Purposeful, yeah. But that's, uh, good. that's a good word. It's mostly just a lot of flow, really, right? Because it's like yes, a lot of my you could say ideas they come from my babblings, so to speak. Like I like when I'm really high, like on vibrations and life and karma. Yep, I babble all the time and I'm not thinking right so when you're talking you can't really think right so that's one trick that I've used and you know you could argue like do I belong in a mental hospital which you know I've been there <laughs> but what I'm telling you is I've learned enough care for the world and for my purpose in helping the world that I'm very confident that I'm not that shit crazy but actually I've developed enough structure and routine just that when you cook a meal that you love and it's a lot of action, yes, you can cook it 
and be talking to yourself and enjoying and and practicing things you're gonna you're gonna say just completely in the flow without a thought right and it's beautiful because here we are having a great conversation which is like one of those 45 minute moments that is just like fully open to whatever happens right and just riding the moment no thought no time for thought because we're listening to each other that's right you're feeding off of each other right and so life can become this amazing uh dream Mm -hmm. that you don't think in Mm -hmm. anymore and that's what a dream is right a dream is all visuals right and so this is very similar where it's all listening it's a lot of listening true Uh, truly listening is so powerful um and so you know i guess this kind of dream state of consciousness um you know i'm wondering how more of us can reach it you know (laughs) i mean you i think art like high arts is like sensitivity is the key to high art right and yeah you know being very in tune with listening because you're watching and listening and feeling and drawing and in action when you're in your you know at your best at your peak Mm -hmm. state and what do you think is stopping more of us from experiencing that (laughs) i don't know i think we all have a lot of prejudices and i'm i'm guilty of it as well as as hard as i try not to be prejudiced it's it's so tricky to walk into a situation and not have baggage with you mm-hmm. that allows you to predefine that situation. Ah, judgment. Yeah, to suspend judgment is so powerful. Whenever so, you don't have labels for things in your brain constantly flickering. Right. And so my goal. So I don't know if your audience knows this, but really most of my art I create traveling around the world, not being in America, and I purposely put myself in places that are nothing like the reality that I know, and I intentionally do that. Because I'm quite convinced that wherever humans are in this world, they find a way to find the basic tenets of our lives that bring us joy. Love, children, you know, curiosities, the, 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 the desire to aspire, to change our lives, to evolve in a positive way. I think humans, are, I just think they're the same everywhere you go, but they found different ways of doing it. And so it's very easy to prejudge that our way, let's say in America, is the better way, right? And so really, if I had to sort of summarize what my art is about, it's a statement about the fact that I've found people who live these absolutely fulfilled, legitimate, satisfied lives doing it in ways that are so different from what I was raised with. And so the painting becomes um, like a vehicle for me to go explore that and verify it again. You know, I go to some little village in India or I might be in Guatemala, I could be even in Russia, and I'm, I don't want to prejudge that that is the case, but I have this feeling that I'm going to find humanness that I can relate to, and every time I've tested it, it has come out that way, mm. and I've just found beautiful people, but I have to leave myself open because they can walk in in a, a certain way, they can approach me in a certain way that I could go, wait a second, what's that? And I could get my defenses up because I might be using the mechanisms I use in America to judge that moment mm-hmm. by. I just have to constantly force myself to be open to, wait, this could be just another way of approaching life. And that's the case. So, you know, a lot of the places I go to paint, like let's say, for instance, I was in southern Vietnam for like six weeks. And I went into the Mekong. And I rent a scooter, and I go into the Mekong, way into the Mekong. I don't even know where I the am. Mekong? Like the, the, the Mekong the River Delta, Delta, right? Where we had all our battles. We had all this horrendous stuff in the 60s in the Vietnam War. So, you know, I, I'm going in there. I'm an American kid, and I have, I have some baggage, which is probably that the people I meet, if they know American, might hate me. 
because they're thinking about all this heritage, all the stuff that we did or they did, etc. I you know want to. So um, I'll go in and I'll just venture on and I'll go down a path, another path, another path, and I, sometimes I don't really know how to get out of there. And then I'll find some view that I like off in a little village that's in the middle of nowhere and I'll start to sit there and make a painting. Many people might feel threatened by that. They might think, Jesus, man, somebody could come up behind me and slice my throat or, mm. you know, there's all this stuff from before that they might carry to this. And and I, I just have this faith somehow that that's not going to be the case. Mm. But I, again, my peace sign, I've got my easel there. I've got a watercolor I'm working on. They can see why I'm there. Right? So right. it gives me this little entree point. If I just showed up there and sat in the middle of their town on a chair and just looked around, they'd probably think I was a freak. Right. But if you put a piece of paper up and you're fiddling around on it, they don't. So that, <laughs> that offers me access to places. And what my takeaway is, though, is that I've just found loving, beautiful people everywhere I've gone. I mean, it has not, that has not yeah. changed anywhere. So that's, that's really... So the painting... For me, it becomes a symbol of that. The fact that that painting exists and I made it there, it in and of itself, regardless of what's on the page, is just like a testament to the fact that I sat in this place somewhere that most people might feel uncomfortable with. And there's proof in the pudding. I sat there for a day, two days, three hours, I don't know. And I found a way to connect to people. And hopefully they got something from me. I definitely got something from them. And there you go. Yeah. Probably had pretty high karma uh, stats. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, so. I, yeah, but I you're guess a so. loving person, and that's what you find when you travel enough and you love yes. the world enough. That's right. Um, my karma has gotten, I, I've noticed a little better recently to the point where I really feel the drop. I, I, I've <laughs> told myself, no more jaywalking in Chicago, because in Miami is so wild and ratchet that I just jaywalk in Miami Beach and everyone's fine with it and it's cool. Right. It's just like the vibe there. So right. I love it. I do right. it. But here in Chicago, I'm like, no jaywalking here. Yeah. No peeing in the lake. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I noticed the karma drop on these little things. Um, like, I'll say, like, the other day, I went to go buy some like smoked salmon or whatever, and like, they didn't scan at the register, and I was in a hurry, and I was like, fuck it, I'm just gonna go. And then I had to go back like yesterday and freaking buy it, like, and return it, and not just like clear my car. Oh. Because like I that's you. how much I felt. And you. it's really, I was listening to Tony Robbins' podcast, and it's really, he was talking with some guru, and it's like, to, the only to the point that you are sensitive and feel guilt does it really bring you down at all. But that's the beautiful thing, is like, you know, sometimes you get really sensitive, and you know, you do believe that you're a good person. And you do believe the world's not out to get you. And you do believe you have a purpose in this life. And you do believe... You are going to live a long life, beautiful life. And so you trust that now. And you become a person that goes and clears all their karma. Uh, they, they goes yeah. and clears all the things that are on their consciousness because they're mm -hmm. very aware. And a lot of people in the world are not aware of maybe what's bringing them down, right? And so at the very high end of energy, vibration, highness, you get really sensitive. So... I feel my chakras spinning all the time. I go like up, down, up, down. I'm just like, I'm testing. I'm constantly testing how my, my, like my crown chakra feels. Like I'm like, I'm really sensitive to tiny things such that most of the time I'm just like, I'm kind of like a blind man, right? So like before a podcast, I always go around the world, play some basketball and I always have to end it with three in a row. And 
sometimes I shoot my best shots like with my eyes closed. It's weird. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's like I, I'm just saying, like, because you become your other senses become invigorated. You know, you're right. you're listening. Uh, basically, your your smell. I mean, the old fact that the ability to smell things is so beautiful that with a really high vibration and awareness, you you just you start to smell things like crazy, which it's just like a different way to live more intensely because you know how how much smell can can really change uh, your your emotions, your hormones, whatever. Um, but I mean, that's far it's far off from painting. So I don't know where we went here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, one thought I had while you were saying that though is um, you're talking about people with sensitivities. The thing I'm finding in the way I travel and where I end up is that I keep bumping into people who are of the like mind that they feel like they're citizens of the world. They don't really feel like they belong to any one country, right? India is a great example of that. I was in uh, Munar, India. It's up in the tea plantations. And I was at this little old English cottage in the middle of nowhere. It's like $3 a night. And I got my kids with me and my wife with me. And we're just hanging out. And who shows up? Another couple from Italy and somebody else from Russia. And and the thing, so at this place, it was cool. They said, you know, for a dollar fifty at dinner, we'll make a big family meal and you guys can just have dinner here, right? And we're like, cool, that all sounds good. So now you have like 20 people sitting around a table who have, for whatever reason, managed to find themselves in India, traveling like hours and hours and hours into the mountain. And then there's a town where they could have stayed, but no, they went and found a path out to this little tea plantation and there's this little old sort of slush in English slash Indian cottage. And we're now sitting around a table discussing our lives. Of course, the, the conjoiner is that we all speak English, luckily, right? My, I'm not fluent in any other language. I speak a few bits and pieces. So I'm, I'm elevated by the fact that they have taken the time to learn English, lucky me. But we're communicating on the fact, that this sort of commonness, which is that we all sort of believe that there's like, you know, no borders in a way. And we live lives that are almost borderless, even though there are borders, but we, we kind of find a way to live in the world that is rather borderless, you know? And like, imagine, John Lennon's imagine, right? Like, if you can make fun of it, but I, I don't. I just love the fact that he was just suggesting that what if, what if this, what if that? And I find real manifestations of it. I think there's a community in the world right now that's living that way. Mm. And I bump into them because we're drawn to similar things, right? We're open and we'll find ourselves in places where others might say, well, well if I'm going to go there, I better have a guide. And then when you're with a guide, it changes things because he has prejudices as well, right? And you know, it, it, you don't, you, maybe you don't really get the chance to open up because he's just sort of, sort of showing you his version of what he thinks you want to see. Right. You're well, traveling on your own, you know, it's stuff happens and you just, if you're open to it, you follow the flow, but you have to really keep convincing yourself that you're not going to be threatened. And I'm pretty good at that. Right. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between uh, doing a completely booked trip that's completely planned yeah. and right. out of your control. Mm -hmm. That I hate. <laughs> but I will say I travel alone a lot and I do like getting really cool guides when they come up to me and they know the area and I can ask them questions. They can be fabulous. It's amazing. I didn't mean to demean uh, guides. Yeah. I love guides. I'm, yes, you know, I, you know no I mean? question about it. Um, no. And no, it's just I've like had a, some great guides. It's a quick way to, uh, to gain intelligence yeah. <laughs> on the space. Yep. Um, I agree. And so guides are great. I, I think what we're touching on here, David, is uh, travel. 
Travel, I think, is the yeah. key to really our is. world elevating its consciousness. It really and that's is. why I have a nonprofit I'm going to start working on um, probably for next summer called Magic School Bus. And we're going to get pro athletes to sponsor like little, little league teams and sports teams from like inner cities or whatever or middle of nowhere uh, USA to travel and get experienced travel. And uh, an offer that their parents can't say no to. But that will change their kids and in good ways right and so to have all these kids going for example to spain for a soccer tournament um it's just going to like give them more dignity as well right to have them take flight right, right. because right. what i see is america that's a bit divided but also has pockets of crime and and just almost misery you could say uh, but what it is is it's the kids not having enough dignity for themselves, not finding some kind of flow in sports or art, um, and just being kind of products of the environment of the influences on social media, on the negativity around them. And we need more kids to experience flow, but also to experience travel. And, and what is the best flow but a, an airplane, you know, going through the winds. Mm -hmm. So I think yep. just promoting more travel, and I think I'm what's, for it. what's cool is I'm seeing more and more big budgets. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I don't know, Biden's on a roll right now, like with like infrastructure bill and all this and that. And, and during the pandemic, we like raised the poverty line, like or not poverty line, but like we took out so many people out of poverty because of all the money we're giving to people, which is kind of similar to the whole, um, you know, what is it? Uh, uh, what is it, welfare, uh, universal welfare, where everyone mm -hmm. is kind of supported by their community, which is what communities used to be like back in the day. Um, someone would go out, catch the big fish. Someone would go out, right. catch the big moose. Right. Everyone would share, share it. it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's kind of what the future is going to be. But it's going to take people like me to challenge those yeah. rich people to share. <laughs> and that's kind of what you are, right. David. You are someone rich in experience right. and wisdom. Right. And, and breaking down norms. I'm challenging mm -hmm. you to share with us your secrets. Mm -hmm. And so that's what this podcast network yeah. is going to do. Is going to yeah. basically every city is going to have now these heroes sharing. And so not only does the, the host of the city, you know, challenge these people to share, but also, you know, help run the the magic school bus. <laughs> Yeah. Get the famous athletes in the town to donate to the local little football team or basketball team or soccer team. Mm -hmm. Get them traveling. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so like that's kind of my vision. And, you know, I mean. And the fact that you approach the athlete, not the CEO, is because the athlete has a much bigger prominent uh, figurehead that people can see. Like what, why the athlete? Why not go to the local guy who's got a hugely successful business and approach him on the same level? Well, it's more fun. I mean, uh, I like to appeal to, uh, it's, it's just way more connected to the kids. I mean, I, I feel like an athlete, an average athlete can empathize way right. more with right. a, okay. a little a, a kid team because he's been on the team. Mm -hmm. Like, are you, are we saying, oh, we're going to take marketing and business, uh, classes and, and from college and take them traveling? No, like. I'm Not talking about the wealthy figure who's got that money. The well, that's the thing about the, the athletes. Talking about has a lot the of athletes money. have a lot right. of disposable income, and mm -hmm. they have a passion for sport, but that only lasts so long, right? Right. So, what are they going to do afterwards? And 
I'm not trying to trying to like structure their whole life or anything, but ideally an athlete becomes someone who uses that power for good, right? They're heroes with power, and a lot of times it's not that easy. Power is responsibility, and uh, money is also uh, you know a blessing and a curse in that right. it's stress. And so how okay you have a lot of gifts given to you, responsibility. Uh, suddenly you have pressure. To, to to dispense that properly and, and do your best and it's mm-hmm. it's it's kind of hard and so anyway I think it's a fun yeah. enough project but I, yeah I don't, it's not all about that but I think um, anyway getting people to travel is a great way to open up people to um, being less judgmental and yes. suspending that, judgment that's it right there in a nutshell that's what happens when you travel a lot it allows you to be less judgmental because you'll just be aware of other realities and how people live their lives like I said earlier. I couldn't agree more. That's there's there's really no downside to traveling, is there? I think life is about how many experiences you collect um, and learn from, right? I mean, to experience something and have it be shitty and then do it again and again and again, which is what a lot of people are doing, like watching the news. <laughs> it's like some people just don't realize, but with enough experience comes sensitivity, memory. Um, and openness because so travel alone can can elevate this world into a beautiful place um, yeah. and so that's what I really bond with you about is yep. just like your your amount of experience places mm-hmm. you've been um, and so I do want to bring it back to artistry because it's that's the thing about the future is with a lot more things running themselves and a lot more you know a lot more free money on the table but at the same time, where is the purpose? Where is the pleasure? Where is uh, you know the artistry? And does that make money? And how can it help more? I guess you definitely have some secrets to share with other artists who might be struggling. Um, maybe they're forcing too much. I think this is also something I've learned is when I'm really high, I notice every time there's an ego impulse forcing something. I can t- completely distinguish between what is ego and what is soul, mm. and the soul flows. That's clear to and you. It's clear to me at my highest points. Mm. I'm kind of like feeling out, blind, falling into things, right? Yeah. And loving it, but that's at the same time, you have to get really high for it to be that clear. Because when you're that high, for some reason, you notice everything, because uh, you're you have a bird's eye view, so to speak. And so, how do we help others who are not that high to begin kind of testing more things but also um, finding success uh, as an artist like do you remember do, is there anything about you as an artist that if you looked at yourself as a younger self or uh, say there was a junior artist who was struggling to make money and they were questioning themselves I think we talked about this at, at chili time the, the questioning of oneself and at mm-hmm. some point you stop right. and you accept yourself but a lot of younger people question themselves, and that is that is that okay to question oneself? I mean, I think it's important as well when you're younger to find your path. But is it maybe more important to throw yourself in as many experiences and challenges as possible versus kind of staying there, uh, in that, kind of staying there in limbo, questioning without moving? Hmm, that's a lot to bite off. You just <laughs> I question myself all the time. Uh-huh. But I also have this inner confidence that makes me 
feel comfortable to just keep making marks on a page. You know, it's intimidating. You walk up to a piece of paper and it's blank, right? You hear artists talk about, or writers talk about writer's block. And I'm aware of the fact that painters have had the same thing. But for some reason, when I approach that page, I feel, and maybe my parents gave me a sense of self-esteem. I feel worthy of making marks. I don't presume that they're necessarily going to be profound ones, that they're going to be, you know, world relevant, but I'm, I'm comfortable just to make them because there's a joy in making them, right? So there's, the, there's a sort of hedonistic quality, which is I love seeing what happens when I mix this color and this color and see where it goes and see where it evolves. And uh, I, maybe I've had enough successful paintings that I feel like maybe I still have something to say. I don't know, you know, that's... It's, it's really tricky territory. I'll tell you this, though. You're asking about young artists. When I got out of art school, it wasn't clear where to go to make a living, right? right? I knew this. I knew I didn't want to wait tables and paint Saturday and Sunday in my apartment because I felt like I just wanted to be able to paint all the time. So the trade-off for that was I took a lot of commissions, and I still do. And the way I saw my commissions was a way of having a brush in my hand all the time, right? Since I left art school, I've never had another job besides painting. I mean, I make music for, as, for a living as well. That's icing on the cake. But as far as surviving, I've just done it by painting. And so I found the balance between doing commissioned work, which allowed me to be working all the time with watercolor and lots, I can paint in any medium, but that's the lion's share of what I do. And then that gave me the chops, right? to be facile to do the other things I want to do. So you'll sometimes hear mus uh, musicians say, you know, I was a studio musician for years, right? And I was a guitarist and the demands of that studio work were so high that I had to learn this. I had to learn that. I had to sight read. I had to, and they, they became so at one with their instrument, maybe not necessarily, maybe they were doing jingles, right? Or being a background guitarist for some band who's recording an album that's not their album. But the demands for doing that were so high and they had to step up to that level because that's what they were being paid to do. In essence, my commissioned work gave me the chops to be at one with my brush. Like when I, when I pick up my brush and I have my pal there and I look into the world and I say, oh, there's, there's this guy I love. I don't even have to think about how to make that sky. Yeah. I just know. It's only because I did thousands, I'm serious, thousands of paintings right. that were commissions. So I always struck this balance. And the demand I placed on myself was that I wanted to make my living as a painter, only painting. So that's the route I took. There's lots of other routes. Uh, my father, you know, he was around in the golden age of illustration. You could be hired by Sports Illustrated to do a 12-page spread drawing. They don't do that anymore. Mm. Right? So that... that that industry has been shut down enormously by photography and other means of, you know, of course, computer-generated images. So it's a little harder and harder to find a way to use your skill set besides just making the art that you want to. But it's hard to approach a gallery when you're 21 years old and say, hey, I want to have a show. And like, well, we usually like to see five or six years of work from somebody to prove that yeah. you're in this for the long haul. Do you have the chops? Do you have the dedication? You know, are we going to invest our time in you? And then two years from now, you say, you know what? I've decided I want to be a musician or I want to, you know, give this up. So I created a buffer for myself, which was doing commission work. And that was my, that was my workaround. Mm. And I still do commission work. That's what got me through COVID, right? right? All my art fairs basically shut down for the year. 
so luckily I have a lot of people who are interested in my work for commission. What kind and of work? So you said it was like a house? You paint a houses? lot of the times I'm doing watercolors of people's homes. And that sounds, to so some people like, oh my God, who wants to do that? But I, I go and I sit sometimes doing an interior of this, not always fabulous, but often fabulous house. And I'm in there for maybe a week and a half with my easel in these beautiful rooms. And I'm doing watercolors of those rooms. And, you know, in that case, if the color of the curtain is this, I've got to have it right on, you know. But there's also a lot of creativity in there. I'm, I'm able to play with light and I try to get a feeling from that. These are, they're not renderings, they're paintings that just happen to be of a subject that somebody's asked me to do, mm. right? So, and a lot of times I find myself on lawns of homes doing watercolors of, of what's in front of me and somebody's asked me to do it. I'm still doing it the way I want to. They've hired me because they've seen the way I paint. They like the way I paint. So that's that's been, you know, that's certainly a lot of it. That's That's been really steady for Interesting. So painting of, and then people just put these inside the home? and just They like... want to document, you know, for them it's a symbol. They look at it and they see their kids. They see their dog. The kids aren't in the painting, but they just, it triggers all these memories, right? right. I'm really painting a symbol is what I'm doing. But from my perspective, yeah. I don't even really care about the architecture. I'm just capturing light. That's my takeaway. That's the selfish part for me. To me, a successful painting really has to capture light. So I'm being paid by somebody to study light. Study it just happens light. to be, uh, could be a, a, you know, a column, an ionic column or some Frank Lloyd Wright structure. I'm not sitting there saying, oh, I'm here because of the architecture. I'm just looking at light hitting things and it happens to be this house and this lawn and that tree and whatever. And that's my high in that painting is just capturing mm. light. So that's what I've taken to my fine art. You know, I, I'm pretty good at embracing light and light is to me like the common language. I don't care where you are in the world. Your experience of a day, if you're not blind, is through light, right? Wow. Sound and light, but, the, <laughs> but visually there it is. It's the, it's the common denominator everywhere. The sun comes up, you can see things. And so that's a lot of artists really get off on light. I mean, it's it's a powerful experience and being able to sort of capture it and say things with it, uh, you know, that's that's a lot of my mojo right there. Damn. All right. Well, that's you're quite the minimalist. I love that. I mean, I think <laughs> I, if you can just if you can distill your passion down to such a simple thing, I think that's when you reach a point of consciousness where you are very easily turned on. <laughs> Like, so, <laughs> to, just to go back to that for a second, there's a whole movement now of what's called plein air painters. En plein air that's is a it, French expression, are, yeah. right? And I'm one of those. Uh, but there's like a lot of events where these guys come together, women and men, and they'll find themselves in the town where they've been invited to be there, and they'll paint from light. And that's a lot of what like Monet and... So it's from light versus from imagination, really. Yeah, or from a photograph right, of light. Right, right. So it's I mean, from reality, and, and you're in the... You're right. in the field. And you're experience it's a, it's experiential. You're you're being struck by that light and you're relaying you onto feel the something canvas and it's making you move you feel and from it's that. Right. Beautiful. Whereas it, like three hundred years ago there was no photographs, so painters then would maybe go do studies or they'd have to just try to imagine what that light was. They might recreate scenes, like in their studio, they might have somebody pose for them and try to create those things. You know, we have the camera now and we that light becomes can be a crutch. The experience of going back and looking at things and looking at real light is what a lot of people do and I do and it's my preferred way of working. Sometimes I have to do workarounds, but it's like it's a drug. You talk about getting high, when I'm looking at light, it is a drug for me. Yeah. Just like, you know, music sounds when I'm playing like I did last night with this fabulous guitarist and he's making sounds. 
I'm hearing them. They're like, they're real to me. They hit my body. It's not a, it's not a recording of sound. It's sound in the room. And then I feel that and I go, okay, what, how am I going to respond to that? How am I going to change mm. the rhythm on my guitar to feed off of what I'm hearing from him? And then the room is giving me sounds back mm. because there's people who are like liking it or not liking it. There's silence. That could be like deafening in a way or people getting off on it. So there's all this stuff mm. and that's real sound, right? It's like, it's there and you're in the moment. And so that's, I'm trying to draw a parallel between being a musician and being a painter is that that high and there'll be a note that my guitarist will hit and he'll look at me and we both know that was just like a moment, right? Mm. And we, we're, we just understand that we felt the same thing, right? And then where does it go from there? Live music, where does it go from there? And it feeds and then it has to end at some point, right? And you, you look at each other and go, okay, there's nothing else to say here. We're kind of done right now and then end it. Yeah, a little afterglow from these highness moments. Yeah, and a like... painting, you have to be able to know when a painting's done, right? right? You can't just keep working it and working and working it. You have to say, okay, it's saying something that satisfies me and it's done here. Just like this interview. Right. Right? You have to kind of know what, it's, we can't speak through three days here. No. It's like, what's enough <laughs> to keep this audience interested and feel like they're getting something or they're like, hey, you know, I'm kind of done with this. I've got enough out of day. Right, well, yeah, I, you got to have high standards in life. That's really the key to life. If there's, if I can say one thing is, um, you know, you have a standard for your experience of life that draws you to these pockets and circles and rooms and, and open airs, you know, right. patios where it's... Right. It's very good vibe, vibes and, and positivity from everybody. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't even know how people are going to, sometimes you just need to get a taste, a little taste of it, right? And then you taste it and it's so good, you want more, right? Yeah, and so right. goodness is like That's that right. as well. You know, the That's taste right. of the goodness. And ideally, you know, listening to, everyone needs role models, right? And yes. I think, and some of us are blessed to be just offered them like parents. You can't pick your parents, but you can just be lucky that you've had them close at hand. Right. If you don't, then you got to go find them, right? You got to go find them, but it's, it's on you. It's on you. It's, it's your life and you can't blame your upbringing. No, you can't. although you, no one is blaming you for who you are because everyone, you are who you are because of everything in your past. And, and, and that's why that's one realization that really helps people not judge is to be like you know what this person had an upbringing that made them who they are and and you know they have karma they have they have it's not even their decision really they're kind of just like it, it, I, it's just very getting very deep but what i'm saying is anytime someone has an opportunity to listen to a role model i think just creating the space for more role models sharing their uh good habits and that's what this podcast yeah. is for right. and that's why we're right. going to spreading this around the world every city in the world yep. every city in the u.s by 2025 awesome. even small cities because 24 only 20 only a six month season in every city peak travel season best vibes yeah best weather everyone's yep. vibing happy uh chicago's vibing and 24 episodes with a bunch of videos and other content and exciting mm -hmm. stuff and art walks yeah and what i'm saying is Springfield, Illinois, or Cleveland, or a random town can also have their 24 role models every year. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, there's yep. space for that. That's yep. why I keep it to 24. Yeah. Um, and so... I like it. Uh, those role models and people listening to role models, that's what's not happening enough right now. And uh, so speaking of that, let's, we're, we're near the end, and it's quite a structure 
where we start talking about, David, you've shared so much. What is one of your good healthy habits? Maybe tell us how you start your mornings or how you uh, carry the energy that you have through the day. Uh, it's, it's a good point. You know, there's, I, I talked about writer's block before. For me, I just put myself in a space where I have my materials and my paper and something I love. The, 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 the starting point is always something I love, right? So I, I never start a painting unless I'm absolutely smitten by what I see. So I'll keep searching, I'll keep searching, I'll keep walking. If I'm on a road trip somewhere, I'll get in a scooter, or I'll drive. And maybe like, you know, I've been doing a, a plein air festival in Telluride. And to get to Telluride and to get back, each way is 22 hours, right? It's a long drive. And I might just take a side road and I have no idea what's down there. I just have a feeling though, like I had enough urge to want to get off the highway and drive down a side road. Make another turn, another turn, another. I might make 20 turns and find nothing, but I might find something. And I don't paint unless I find that something. And I know that when I found it, the energy just comes from that interaction. Mm. Sometimes I got to get out of the car and walk halfway into a farmer's field to get the place where, but I have a, I have a hunch now, I'm like mm. sort of weeding it down. I'm like, wait, that silo is awesome and those barns are cool and something about the time of day and the light and everything. I, I, there's something, this is good, but I think if I go over there, it'll be better. Mm. And then I get there and I, I, I know that all of my good work comes out of that. So I just trust in that. And, but I, but you have to get up, you got to get in your car, you got to walk down the street, you got to, you got to just do the ritual as you get your material together, you fill your backpack and you get yourself prepared to go and do it. And then you just go looking. And so I know that the habit is just to get up and make myself do it. I never say, you know, I think I'll just watch TV today. I just don't do that. It's just not how I do. I just go, you know, it's a day, I'm a painter and I'll go do it. And I just go and do it. And I have faith that I'll find something. Now it's easier usually for me to find things in places like, when I'm traveling because it's more, it's fresher to my eyes, it's more exotic, it's things I'm not familiar with. Here I have to look a little bit deeper because I am so used to seeing things, right? Mm. So I have to maybe drive to the south side or drive out to the countryside, I don't know. But, you know, I don't stop until I find that. Mm. And then once I've found it, I just have faith that this thing takes place and it does. Doesn't mean that every painting I do is great, but you know, the lion's share of them are great to me. Whether you find them great, I don't know. But they're, you know, I, I just, I don't want to be, I don't want to be spinning my wheels all day unless I believe in this thing. And for whatever reason, I believe in it. And then, you know, seems like after 30 years of painting, enough people have believed in it. So I right. find myself sitting here talking to you after having had a great show. And tell your ride was great. And Old Town was great. And I hope I have some more, you know. And people come to my gallery and find my work that way. And the gallery's in my house. And, you know, I'm open to all that. Yeah. So, yeah, you have high standards for uh, exploration and discovery and yeah. being wild and, and yep. experiencing yep. wonder and, and awe. Yep. And all the stuff you can't find on TV, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I like podcasting. You can walk the street and yeah, listen. That's and, right. And, and that's exactly that's, right. That's one of the main times that I listen to podcasts is uh, when I'm going grocery shopping. That's like my main time, actually. I'm not, I haven't even listened to that many, but yeah. definitely don't waste your time. Um. <laughs> so you walked into my booth at Old Town, and I got a vibe from you right away, and I'm like, you know, this is a guy who I can communicate with, and you told me what you're about, and I thought, you know what? Yeah, I'd be happy to go to his place and do an interview with him because I just get a feeling from you, and that's real, right? 
we were in the space and I got a buy for you. I'm like, you know, I'll take, I'll, I'll take this journey yeah. and see where it goes. We've tried a few yeah. weeks and never worked out. And here we are tonight and we, we let yeah. the, the dice roll and hopefully the listening audience out there gets something out of this. And, uh, you know, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, now I'm pretty good at, uh, dropping in and picking up people live, but definitely the, via <laughs> my Instagram DM in, in a new city is very difficult to like reach out cold. Because it's different than when you have someone come in with their smile right. and be like, "That's right, I respect you, right. I love you, right. let's chat more, let's well, get to know each other. A lot more to feed off of. It's, yeah, so it's, yes. anyway, that's why I have to explore a lot. And, uh, and every host in the city has to be very out and about on Saturdays, appreciating all the great role models and people in the city. And anyway, it's going to be a fun, uh, fun life ahead, but... Well, um, good, good luck with this. I like what you're about, and you're you're rolling the dice like I do, and you have faith in what you're doing. You have confidence in asking people questions and getting things going, and you have a bigger picture, which is involving other guys in other cities or women carrying on what you're doing. And hey, man, it takes vision. You got to throw it out there, and you know, I wish you luck. It's a nice little painting, huh? Ah, but there uh, you go. at the end of the day, this is still Chicago. We're still here in this field, yep. watching this city mm-hmm. skyline in front of us. Um, and so within Chicago, I mean, it's a pretty quick question, but, uh, it's also a challenge. Um, who are some people you respect, uh, in the community? Because this is a challenge in many ways. Challenge for me to go pick them up. A challenge uh. <laughs> for them to accept the challenge and the, the call to adventure. And then a challenge for you to come up with something interesting, maybe outside of your world. <laughs> Interesting that you asked me that question. I, I'd probably want to give it a little more thought. I, that's what I always get. But I, but I know gems. I know people there who are gems that are underappreciated. And, uh, you know, Harrison Bankhead would be one of them. He's this fabulous bass player in uh, North Chicago. And he's just got he's just got all the goods. And I feel like sometimes he's just not appreciated as much as he should be. And so you could just feed off of that mm. guy. Okay. You could just feed off of him. And I probably could sit here and think of a few others, but that's the one that comes to mind. But I'll gladly let you know others, and you know, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not trying to feed too much. I, what I'm saying is, uh, I I also ask now something outside of your world. So when I talk to an artist, I go, "Yo, who is someone in the cuisine industry or fitness or who's a chef?" And when I talk to a chef, I go, "Hey, who's an artist or who's?" Uh, I, I I like crossing worlds so to speak mm, and so right. who's someone right. who's not an artist who you respect maybe uh a chef or a place a business what is a business in chicago that that has your heart well i live in waukegan i don't spend that much time in chicago so you know that's and right now i've got two young boys and my wife and so my world is like it's a little bit insular in that regard that i'm you know i'm just like my days are filled up with saying, how can I stimulate these boys and have them on a, a great journey? So it's not like I'm rambling the city of Chicago that often, like bumping into things because, you know, when I go traveling to paint, that's another experience. Right. When I'm living day to day, I'm just trying to provide this world for them to be in. Uh, but it's it's a good question. It's, it's, it's like I almost need to have been asked that in advance so I could have a few good answers for you. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, I guess. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you, damn, you came from pretty far today. Is that true? Like, how... I did. I came about an hour to get here. An hour? Yeah. Wow, it's the record so far. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm honored. I'm honored yeah. to be with hey, your presence. Happy to be here. And uh, to have been able to serve. The, the chance to serve is 
the greatest greatest opportunity. That's right. Um, because a lot of us spend our days wondering how the hell we serve this world. So I'm always so happy when I get to serve. And yeah, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of great people in Chicago, a lot of people on the list, a lot of people uh, on the schedule. So, you know, definitely doesn't seem like you were kind of like from this neighborhood. And this neighborhood has a lot of cool characters. Oh, I can tell. Just driving up to your house, seeing all the, just the vibe of the street. I'm like, wow, I can dig it. You know, I just dig it right away. There's so much variety, so much uh, culture. And, uh, but if people listening, like what's going on just contact me you know send me an email you and, and you know i'm sure Simeon's going to let you know all my contact yeah. information and just poke at me and and give me a thought you know and i'll be happy to you know facebook feedback you're, you're like, you facebook want, you want some pokes <laughs> yeah you know i've got my facebook for music and then my facebook for my paintings okay so throw that out there to these you guys on instagram I am, but I never use it. Okay. Well, I'm terrible. We'll, we'll share your details, your website yeah. for sure. All right. And then people can check out your paintings yeah. and uh, maybe reach out for a private showing or whatnot. Yep. Um, and I was just very personally impressed by the beauty. So Thank uh, you. I'd like to Thank think you. I have five standards. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, all right. All right, dude. Thanks for coming. Awesome. And uh, can't wait to see you again. Yeah. Pleasure. Bye, everybody. <laughs>